This is Mark Fletcher, and welcome to my world. Welcome to Southern Tales, Tall and Otherwise. In every group of people, there's always one who stands out for his or her difference. Sometimes it's because they're strong or tall or beautiful or smart. Sometimes it's because they are weird or strange or just refuse to fit into any type of category. In our fraternity at Memphis State in the early 80s, we had some of each of these. And like I say, it's just a Southern thing. Sit back and enjoy. Southern Tale Season 2, Episode 15, Bob Bijou. Bob Bijou. It's spelled B-I-E-S-I-O-T. And I think it's a French name or French word. Probably means weird. But there's nothing French about Bob, whom his parents called Robert. He was strange and weird and different, but also special and a good friend. And that's where we're off to tonight. And while there might be some disputes about the actual facts, this is the way that I remember it. In my opinion, every goddamn word is true. Now, I'm going to ask you to go back once again, if you haven't already, to the start of this series and listen to those episodes. You see, as I've mentioned, every episode builds upon itself. These are stories about me, my family, my cousins, uncles, aunts, etc., and some of my closest friends, and some of my friends who were close but maybe aren't anymore. You know those type. Now, some of those folks that are allegedly kin too could not tell you how. Maybe some of them don't want to know how. But there are characters that I introduce and continually wind their way into and out of these stories. It will help you understand the context and sometimes the humor if you know the characters. Tonight's episode is no different. As you heard in an earlier episode, our fraternity had been severely reduced by an event that happened the spring before I pledged. A good deal of the older brothers had been kicked out for being immoral. Now talk about dichotomy. Being kicked out of a fraternity for being immoral is like being kicked out of a bar for drinking, or something like that. Never was good at metaphors. I can describe the guys who were left as being mutants, assholes, creeps, or losers, but there was one guy who really stood out. Bob Bijou. They called him Bezoid. 
he scared me a little bit when I first met him. I mean, he was different, and there wasn't anybody like him out in the sticks where I grew up. He kind of wobbled when he walked. Everything about him was just a little uncertain, a little unsure. He drank constantly, or at least every time I was around him, he was drinking a lot. It seemed to me he always had on the same clothes. And because he lived way out in Whitehaven, he frequently slept on the couch at the fraternity house or maybe even in his car. All this kind of stuff was brand new to me. I mean, I figured out after a while that he was somewhere between 25 and 30 probably. And um, it's pretty clear he had some brain damage of some sort. And, and, and that's what people would say. And this, I eventually heard that when he was uh, 18, he was kind of a badass guy. And so he got into the car repo business. One day, he ran into a guy who did not want his car repossessed. And I guess this guy was a better badass than Bob. And so he proceeded to beat Bob in the head repeatedly with the butt of a gun. They took Bob to the hospital where they thought he was dead. But they had emergency surgery. And because the side of his head had been beaten in so much, his inner ear had apparently been damaged or destroyed. Now... Sit down for this one, but the story goes they placed an experimental Air Force gyroscope inside his head. No shit, this was pretty common knowledge. I mean, it's a story, but it's one that Bob never refuted, and I think actually a time or two, you know, confirmed. That explains why he wobbled. The Air Force never was really good at anything, right, or whatever. But his brain worked fine. He was funny. He just wanted to be accepted, you know, he kind of wanted to be at home, and that kind of happened in our fraternity. I mean, he did kind of talk slow sometimes, but I think that might have been alcohol-related. It didn't matter the situation. You could always count on Bob to have money and be willing to help out. I could tell Bob stories all day, but for this episode, we will limit it to just a few. There will be more in upcoming episodes about Bob Bijo. I guess the first thing that I learned about Bob, who, remember, had a serious balance issue, is that he was a pretty good golfer. He was always in the middle of all the guys going out golfing, and soon I was going golfing too. But I say pretty good. Pretty good to me at that time was great because he could go out and shoot 85 to 90 every time. He never hit the ball very far, but he hit it straight. He was my father's favorite playing partner because they both played old man golf and I mean absolutely straight now Bob's dad was retired military and so we used to play at the old Navy Depot it was on Airways Boulevard in South Memphis before you got to 240 it was a short course and Bob had it down he he rarely lost there but he was just as adept at other courses as well I've seen him work his magic at Paris Landing or Pickwick, Carroll Lake, Montgomery Bell, and all the Memphis public courses. Some weird things always seemed to happen when Bob was along for the trip. Of course, there was a time when my brother and I tried to switch drivers while we were driving our 76 station wagon 80 miles an hour down Interstate 65, and we wound up going straight in the ditch. Scared everybody, but I think Bob was probably the most scared. We might have been drinking, you think? Anyway, there was this time at Fox Meadows, which is a Memphis public course. It was the day I got my first career double eagle. Now, that's a big deal. It's like a hole-in-one, and some say they're harder than hole-in-one. 
I, I think it was on the first hole, and it was a long and straight par five. And it had been raining for a couple of days, and the rain had just stopped when, when we arrived. This hole was flat as a pancake. It had a 24-inch wide concrete swale that ran along the fairway, and about a third of the way up, it went across the fairway and then ran all the way down past the green. Well, first hole, I never did that well. It was one of these sports where you never warmed up or did anything, oddly enough, if, unless you call drinking warming up. So anyway, I chili dipped my drive, and it rolled into the swale. Everyone else teed off, and we couldn't find my ball. After a while, we realized that the water had pushed it all the way down near the green. Now, this was not a hazard, and I took the free drop where I found my ball. Chipped it in for a two. 540-yard hole, I got a two. The only other time in my life that I chipped in was at Galloway, but I think that was for double bogey. Yeah. Remember, I chipped in for a two. True story. Bob will swear to it. At T.O. Fuller, which was a state course in South Memphis or Southwest Memphis, one day on the 18th hole, Bob hit his approach thin, and it went over the hole, landed on the clubhouse roof, bounced off, hit the concrete, bounced on a picnic table, bounced again on the car path, and rolled gently on the green. Bob made the putt for par. He was always giving and volunteering to help us in the fraternity in any way that he could. I mean, truly, there was never a nicer, more giving person than Bob Bijou. And, and the fraternities at Memphis State had this ridiculous annual contest called All Sing, where you would dress up real fancy and your guys would sing a melody of songs. It was like some kind of Broadway thing. It wasn't for us. Listen, we belonged to the Animal House Bible, but we always showed up, if for nothing else, just to make fun of the event. This year, I suggested we do Jimmy Buffett songs. Listen, we couldn't sing worth a damn and didn't have anybody could sing. So I wanted to do something, that you know, drinking songs. I really wanted to sing the words, Why don't we get drunk and, and watch Dean Hampton jump out of his chair. But our pledges overrode me and we wound up doing Songs of the Eagles. Terrible choice for us because that actually took some singing ability. I mean, there we are. You know, we're trying to sing Tequila Sunrise, right? Oh, my God. Buffett drinking songs would be much better. Well, Bob's mom was a piano teacher. And somehow or another, he volunteered her to be our accompanist. Did I say that right? Accompanist? Anyway, she played the piano along with us while we were singing. And our vocal teacher. Well, you know, we were kind of nervous about, you know, our fraternity going over to someone's mom's house. I mean, we were Animal House. It was his mom. But eventually, we did all make the trek out there, even though we were nervous about the situation. And as president, I was really nervous that something bad was going to happen. Um, you know, as I said, we weren't really built for good manners and uptight parents. But when we walked into Bob's house, everything changed. His dad, there he was over there on the side drinking a mixed drink. I think he had a backup mixed drink in his other hand. They ushered us into the music room. There, his mom had a cooler full of beers that she personally handed out to everyone. Can you believe it? Whose mom would have done that? Not my mom. 
I mean, she then said that beer was good for singing because it didn't have a lot of, didn't have a lot of sugar in it like soft drinks and sugar would coat your vocal cords. I have no idea if that was true, but we drank a lot of beer out there. I mean, a couple weeks, and we actually enjoyed practicing. We got to where we were semi-decent, I think, and started to take it seriously. Well, not really. Anyway, I mentioned Bob's dad was drinking when we got there, and then he had a mixed drink and a backup drink, right? Bob told us his dad was in the military in World War II. You know, the big one. Bob's dad was stationed in England, and he was a colonel. They used to call him the colonel, Colonel Bijot. One night, shockingly, he was drinking at the officer's club. Now, the officer's club at this base was on the second floor. And when he got done, he was walked out of the club holding a drink, of course. He fell down 22 steps. At the bottom, he was beaten and bruised and had actually broken both legs and one arm. But, and this is the Bijou mantra, he did not spill his drink. Bob was very proud of that. He said his father got the Purple Heart for his heroism. My kind of military, for sure. Now, Bob, he was also some kind of stock market guru. I didn't know anything about the stock market in the early 80s. But he was kind of like Rain Man anyway, so I kind of bought that he might be some kind of genius. Uh, I, I think, you know, he was always talking about the markets and how it was doing. And even though it fell on deaf ears with most of us, you know, he drove a great car. And as mentioned, he always had money in his pocket. Now, occasionally, Bob would get bored and take a job. I think just to have a job, he just wanted something else to do while we were all at school or whatever. One time he was working at TBC, the Tire and Battery Corporation. It was located in Memphis. Anyway, they went on strike, and they were hiring a bunch of scabs to work there during the strike. Bob thought it might be a good short-term fun job. Well, he liked the job, and they made him a supervisor. But soon, the strikers set up picket lines outside, and they were pouring gas and milk and eggs and stuff on the cars for the, to the, of the scabs. Some even had their windshields broken. One night, a striker ran towards Bob as he was pulling in. Bob rolled down the window of his Toyota Celica and put his hand outside holding a 357 Magnum and asked the guy, Hey, were you going to hurt my car? They left him alone after that. And then there was a friend part of Bob. And I have so many stories of when Bob helped me and was a true friend. But after college, I went to work for an architectural engineering company in East Memphis. Every Wednesday night, my boss would go to Houlihan's in Park Place Mall. It was ladies' night or something, and he had a gold card so we could skip the long line. Now, this was not as bad as Century 21 because there was some culture there, but this place was pretty much a wild mess every week. I, I asked Bob to come out one night, and that's one of the best decisions I ever made. This night, we learned that American Airlines pilots drank a drink called Jet Fuel. It was a shot of Crown and a shot of peppermint schnapps. I think they cost about $25 each at Houlihan's. It, it, but it would burn, and it would get you there pretty darn quick. I don't remember how many of them we had. But late in the night, a girl grabbed me to dance. I could not dance, would not dance, have not danced. But 
after that many jet fuels, dancing was easy. Suddenly, I was John Travolta. And we were moving to the beat, and God dang it, I thought she was the best thing ever. I mean, I thought she was a 10. We were kissing and dancing too close for public viewing. I was sure we are going to go home and maybe never leave the bedroom. As the night went on, Bob grabbed me near closing time and said, Hey, I need you to go somewhere with me as a favor. I said, Hell no, Bob. There's no way I'm fixing to. He goes, Hey, listen, we're friends and we're brothers. You, I really need help. I need you tonight. You can tell her you'll see you tomorrow. I finally said, Okay. Houlihan's was closing down. I told Mary that I would see her there the next night for sure. She said, fine. And Bob and I jumped into his car and drove off. We really didn't drive too far because the country in 1983 or whatever was not far from Park Place Mall. He stopped the car on the side of the road. He said, I, I got to pee. So we jumped out of the car and we stood there on the side of the road under a moonlit sky and peed. Now listen, when you drink and peeing is always fun, and I don't care about who hears me say it. It's just fun. It's, it's a great feeling. And, and I asked him under the moonlit sky what the favor was he needed. He said, Mark, you're the one who needed a favor, and you just got it. I said, what? He said, listen, you were about to do something you are going to regret. What? Yeah. You make sure you're sober tomorrow night when you return to Houlihan's and see that blonde girl in the red blazer. I didn't believe him and wanted to punch him. But the next night, I did return. I was sober. It was awful. I actually told her that I had to use the restroom and snuck out. I never went to Houlihan's again. Ever. Anyway, life went on and... I got married and had kids and kind of lost track of Bob. Then one night, maybe 2005, I don't know for sure, I saw him around midnight at Sam's Town in Tunica. He was a blackjack dealer. I played at his table for a while and we laughed. We promised to play some golf soon. That same night, he got off of work around 4 a.m. Driving home on one of those two-lane roads in North Mississippi, he was hit head-on by a drunk driver. Bob was killed instantly. He wasn't drunk. He was just going home. We had already learned that drinking and driving was wrong. I guess the other guy hadn't learned that lesson yet. For the liner notes this episode and all episodes of the Southern Tales podcast, Please go to broadneckmusic.com where you'll find out more about the episode. You can also find more about our kick-ass theme music from Audra Brown, one of Memphis's best young songwriters. You can also contact me at stalespodcast at gmail.com. You can ask questions, hey, or you can tell me your stories, and eventually your stories can get on Southern Tales Podcast. Once again, thanks for listening, and please tell a friend about the fun we're having. See you next week on Southern Tales. 20 minutes and a smile.